Mac Folklore Radio, read by Derek. Galen Grumman reviewed the PowerBook 170 in Macworld February 1992. He went over many of the points covered in the PowerBook 100 series introduction article we heard a few weeks back and praised its solid but typical performance versus DOS notebooks. He was rather critical of the PowerBook's small keys, awkwardly placed trackball, absence of hardware options, awkward arrow keys, absence of page up and page down keys, lack of video out support, and like me, complained it was difficult to press each key all the way down reliably on the first try. He also took it on a five-mile bike ride in his backpack while an application was accessing the hard disk, and it survived. That review prompted a few letters from readers. Letters, Macworld, May 1992 My congratulations to Galen Grumman for being willing to give that type of abusive testing to the PowerBook 170. His comments on the sturdiness and durability of the unit add a new dimension to hardware reviews, and I'd like to see more of it. Mark Glasgow via CompuServe Before I read your review, I was privileged to try out the Macintosh PowerBook 170. I found the product perfect in every detail. I've tried many DOS laptops, and the PowerBook 170 so far exceeds their feel that I don't even see them as comparable. Your commentator simply had a negative, subjective twist to everything. Wayne Bent, Sandpoint, Idaho The Macintosh PowerBook is one of the most elegantly engineered pieces of machinery that I have ever owned. Basically, I find it hard to imagine that any Macophile would be disappointed with one of these machines. The PowerBooks have set Macintosh users free in a new way. Peter Kotsis, Hillsdale, New Jersey After a few minutes of tinkering around, I noticed that one pixel on my PowerBook 170 screen wasn't actively turned on. Apple's service department told me that Apple wouldn't take back or repair the computer unless five or more pixels were burned out. Apple shouldn't have built a machine with a display that it knew had defects, let alone sell it for a high price tag. I believe that if you pay top dollar for a product, it should be perfect. Scott Handley, Santa Clara, California Nowadays, of course, we still occasionally deal with dead pixels on LCD monitors, but back then, when everything was black and white, no red, green, or blue subpixels, and LCD resolution was only 640 by 400, you really, really noticed dead pixels. Macworld, July 1992 Conspicuous Consumer by Deborah Branscombe Smart Company, Foolish Choices Paul Crouch Jr. owns a video production company in Tustin, California. Mac Muehlman is a Macintosh user in Fairfield, Iowa. Both of them bought PowerBook 170s, and both of them are angry about defective displays. Apple, you see, doesn't call them defective. The active matrix technology used in PowerBook 170 displays is beautiful. It's also new, expensive, and imperfect. As a result, some displays have broken pixels. If a broken pixel is permanently black, Apple calls it a defect and repairs or replaces the display. If a broken pixel is permanently white, Apple calls it a voided pixel and says customers have to live with it, except under very narrow circumstances. A consumer law attorney I consulted disputes Apple's claim that it doesn't have to repair displays that have voided pixels. But before we get to that, 
Let's consider the company's argument for its policy as outlined by Michelle Parata of Apple Executive Relations in a letter to one unhappy owner. Thank you for your recent letter to John Scully regarding your new PowerBook 170 computer, she writes. I understand that there are two pixel voids in the display of your PowerBook 170 computer and that you are dissatisfied with Apple's decision not to replace this display. Some of the features that make Active Matrix display technology so superior are its fast refresh rate, sharp contrast, bright backlighting, and side angle viewing ability. However, one less appealing characteristic inherent in this technology is the appearance of pixel voids, pixels that stay white all the time. Apple's current manufacturing specifications for the Active Matrix display allow the following A. Up to five voids that cannot appear within one inch of each other. B. Zero defects, pixels that stay black all the time. Apple arrived at this specification because the manufacturing costs to eliminate all pixel voids would be prohibitive and would prevent Apple from making Active Matrix display technology available in the PowerBook 170 at an affordable price. At this time, Apple has no plans to announce a service program for PowerBook 170 owners. Apple's argument that the benefits of Active Matrix technology outweigh its flaws makes perfect sense as long as customers are aware of Apple's policy before they buy and have a chance to decide for themselves if voided pixels are acceptable. But that is not what is happening. Unhappy Customers Paul Crouch Jr., for example, has spent about $50,000 over the years on Macintosh equipment for his business. In March, he unpacked a PowerBook 170 that had a trackball problem and three damaged pixels. His authorized Apple dealer was happy to fix the trackball, but unwilling to replace the display, since it wasn't broken in Apple's eyes. Crouch says a polite person on the Apple PowerBook repair hotline listened sympathetically, but pointed out that the bad pixels represented a tiny failure rate in the overall scheme of things. That did not comfort Crouch. It's like buying a Mercedes and having a big old ding in the door and having Mercedes say, sorry, it's within factory specifications, he says. If I had known about the situation, I would have fired up the machine and checked it on the spot. I had no reason to expect the machine would be anything less than perfect. Although Apple sent a notice to its dealers about the policy, no one at the local computer dealership mentioned it to Crouch. Mac Muehlman had a similar experience in April when he bought a PowerBook 170 that had one voided pixel. Muehlman purchased his 170 from an unauthorized dealer, a large mail-order company that initially refused to accept his PowerBook for a refund, then relented. When Muehlman called Apple to discuss the issue, he was assured that Apple asks all its authorized dealers to tell customers about the pixel policy. So he called the local Apple-authorized dealer to inquire about the matter. According to Muehlman, a salesperson there said that he had never heard of a Pixel policy until that moment. An informal Macworld survey of eight dealers found that only two salespeople had heard of problems with Active Matrix technology. Are these guys a couple of whiners? Maybe, but I don't think so. Apple agrees that dead black pixels are defects. Voided pixels may be less obvious and aren't much of a problem at the edge of a screen. 
but a white pixel in the wrong place can be enormously irritating to some customers. One bad pixel is right dead center, so it doesn't matter if I'm working on a text or a graphic, it's very annoying, explains Crouch. It's like trying to read with a spot on your glasses. My eye goes right to it, so I usually have to reposition the windows so I don't see it. It drives me crazy. It's like having a fly on your nose. Muleman agrees. Looking at a 170 display with a voided pixel is like, quote, looking at a Renoir with a hole in the canvas. Legally Speaking Mark Anderson has a more than passing acquaintance with consumer law as a partner in the San Francisco law firm of Chemnitzer, Dickinson, Anderson, and Barron. Last year, he successfully represented a client who bought a defective PC clone system from a Los Angeles manufacturer that made three attempts to repair the system over the course of several months and failed miserably every time. Eventually, the company refused to provide any additional warranty service, but the computer was still broken. Under California's Song-Beverly Consumer Warranty Act and the federal Magnuson-Moss Warranty Act, Anderson demanded the company completely replace the system or reimburse his client for the purchase price, loss of use, reasonable attorney's fees, and some incidental expenses. The manufacturer said no, but the court said yes, and Anderson's client got her money back. The PowerBook warranty states, in part, that Apple, quote, warrants this hardware product against defects in materials and workmanship for a period of one year from the date of original retail purchase. If you discover a defect, Apple will, at its option, repair, replace, or refund the purchase price of this product. I asked Anderson to review copies of the PowerBook warranty and Michelle Parada's letter about the company's policy. Can Apple stand fast? Probably not, according to Anderson. The company's policy that voided pixels do not require warranty repair, quote, is probably not valid because no one has had notice before buying, says Anderson. The question then is if it is a substantial defect. Would the average user care? Will it affect the use or value of the product? It seems to me that a reasonable person shouldn't have to live with that defect, unquote. The more expensive the product, the higher the consumer's reasonable expectations, says Anderson. Quote, I think a small claims court would say, Apple, give them their money back. It's not entirely that simple. Anderson points out that dealers and manufacturers are equally liable under the so-called lemon laws above, so consumers must attempt to negotiate with both parties before heading into court. But if that fails, look for an attorney. Or, small claims court may be an option, particularly in states like California, which sets a $5,000 limit on claims. Smooth Moves It seems silly, though, for the few PowerBook owners disgruntled by the display issue to be forced into court when Apple has been so great in related areas. Some PowerBook floppy drives have had real problems in reading 800K disks, for example. That's been solved with a revision B mechanism, according to Apple. Customers with floppy drive problems can call the repair hotline and arrange for an Apple warranty repair or return the PowerBook to an authorized dealer for service. Apple jumped to solve another problem as well. Spare nickel-cadmium batteries for PowerBook 140s and 170s may short-circuit if metal contacts both terminals. 
This is an industry-wide problem, not an Apple problem. That makes the batteries a potential fire hazard. Once Apple learned of the danger, it notified all its dealers, sent out a mailing to all registered PowerBook users, and established a toll-free number that users can call for a free protective battery case. The very existence of the repair hotline has been a godsend for many users who praise the pickup and delivery service for sick PowerBooks and Apple's fast repair turnaround. These services will be available, for a price, after the warranty period as well. Winning Loyalty It seems clear that Apple knows how to do the right thing. It just doesn't want to at least when it comes to the voided pixel policy. The company has no plans for a service program and no way to ensure that dealers publicize the active matrix trade-off to potential customers. But that's not good enough. Active matrix technology is a step forward for users and it's great that Apple is pushing to improve the technology and make it more widely available. But the company must do a better job of informing consumers about the limitations of that technology before they get to the cash register. That may be tough with PowerBooks in such short supply that some dealers don't even display the machines, but it's not impossible. Clothing manufacturers have an approach that might work for most Apple dealers. Fabrics made of natural fibers often have flaws. It's so common that some manufacturers hang tags on raw silk and linen clothing pointing out the irregularities. Tags are an inexpensive way of informing customers about the nature of the fabric to avoid costly returns. Apple should insist that its dealers label Display 170s in a similar fashion. And once it does, Apple will discover that people are much more accepting of the limits of the technology as long as they know about them up front. As it is, Tim Hayes, Director of Service Business for Apple USA, estimates that less than 3% of PowerBook calls involve display questions or complaints. That's out of 200,000 PowerBooks sold in the first two quarters of this year, and not all of those were 170s. Given that, Apple can certainly afford to satisfy those few people unhappy with their 170 displays. After all, as Apple spokespeople keep telling me, nothing is more important to Apple than customer satisfaction. Good thing, too because I'm not sure Apple can afford to ignore disgruntled customers. Remember big spender Paul Crouch Jr.? He tells everyone he meets about his Pixel problem and tries to discourage them from buying a PowerBook. Regardless of the law, practically and morally, Apple has an obligation to repair PowerBook 170 displays for the few people who will demand it. As Attorney Anderson puts it, they've got plenty of money for billboards, but they don't want to replace screens. That's not fair. Research Assistance by Carolyn Bickford And as we all know, ever since this article was published in 1992, Apple has never ever had another quality control snafu that they've refused to publicly acknowledge. <coughs> A couple of quotes from Deborah Branscombe herself, courtesy of the Digital Riptide Technology Journalism History Project, recorded in 2014. When I started working at uh, Macintosh Today, I remember going home to my husband one day and saying, Honey, if we just buy a Mac SE, I promise I will never want another computer the rest of my life. <laughs> and I've had about 47 since then. You know, I was so naive. In fact, I was at the press conference when Gil Emilio 
his first press conference. Economy calmness sent me there. So I asked him one question, and the one question was, how do you justify, given Apple's current stock price, the enormous salary that you are commanding? And the PR person, the head of communications who was standing next to him, turned all kinds of purple and attempted to go, no! And um, he's like, it's okay, I can take this. And then he just talked about you know, how it was like the market, blah, blah, blah. And I wasn't really there to be mean to him, but you know, I had a job to do. I didn't care. As far as I was concerned, he didn't need to justify his salary. Apple wanted to pay it, fine. But it was a hard journalistic question. The tech press, we don't like to ask hard questions. And they don't want us to ask hard questions. So usually we don't. I was some exception with some consumer columns I did, but usually that's how it went. State no longer in a separation between business and editorial because it's all in service of blah blah bullshit. Macworld, because it was owned by Pat McGovern, and he was a quirky guy who had made money in the tech industry, and who was quite ethical. So I wrote this monthly column and regularly pissed off people. So he had this thing where every 10 years he would take people out to a swanky dinner. I showed up there early, which was a nightmare because I did not know how to talk to him at all. So while I'm waiting, he says, you know Steve Case, who is then the founder and head of America Online, AOL, called to complain about your column one time. And I'm like, he did? And he's like, yes. And I said, why and what did you tell him? And he said he was unhappy with the way that you were characterizing AOL. And I told him that we did not interfere with our editorial staff. And that doesn't happen nearly often enough. Um, but it happened there. And that made me really happy to work there. So I, but I was protected because I was trade press. It was like, you know, vendors were coming in, Apple were coming in, and they were always shilling their products all the time. It was really clear what our job was, right? Our job was to like review products and help people use them. And had columnists like um, Stephen was absolutely our best columnist. Stephen Levy. He wrote the first thing ever about the World Wide Web back when it was only Mozilla. Oh. Stephen is like so professional and just was a delight to work with as an editor in every way. And okay. I will tell you that one of the most troubling things for me, you know, now we have clickbait. We have yeah. all these websites with clickbait. Yeah. Okay, I'll just tell you that the people who started, the late lamented Al, whatever his name was, and whoever started people, those, I do not believe in hell. Those people are going to hell. Okay. And here's why they're going to hell. Because we've had a race to the bottom. Because journalism needs money, and because tech people, you know, remember the myth, information wants to be free. Now even good, what used to be good websites have devolved into collections of clickbaity, um, short sweet lists and stuff. Do, am I optimistic about like corporate journalism? Yeah. The, you know, I hope Time. Time Magazine. Dies, it ought to die. If it has a publisher now that's saying there's no longer a wall between editorial and advertising, he doesn't know what journalism is. So what they're doing now isn't journalism anymore. That's fine. He can make that decision, but don't call it journalism. It's not. So anyway, 
Not optimistic about time, optimistic about journalism. Sidebar, Service Heroes. Alan Malkiel writes from Johanneshof, Sweden, to report on a good experience with ORCID technology after returning his ORCID fax modem for warranty repair. He asked for airmail shipping because of the distance involved and included a check for the estimated shipping expenses. ORCID fixed the modem and sent it back via Federal Express second-day service. My total downtime was less than three weeks, far less than I expected, writes Malkiel. In addition, they sent a free copy of the latest software and returned my check. Finally, and most important in my opinion, they responded quickly to all my faxes. In February, Ernest Thomas Cummins of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, turned to Dynamac for help with his Dynamac computer. The only problem was the company went out of business last year. After reading that Micro Heaven of Denver was handling customer support, Cummins sent in his portable for repair and had it back two days later. Not only did Micro Heaven fix my problem, and for a very fair price, but they also cleaned my Dynamac and tuned it up so it's now running better than when I sent it, writes Cummins. 